Real Crime presents The Assassination of Jill Dando The reputation of Jill Dando was outstanding. Born in Western Supermare in 1961, she had risen through the ranks from working at her local daily newspaper, The Western Mercury, at the age of 18, where both her father and brother worked, to working in radio and then television. Her talent for presenting and talking to people aided a successful career. She was a familiar face on BBC television, presenting the news and Holiday, a travel review show. She was also the star of Crime Watch as the millennium approached. She sat alongside presenter Nick Ross as the pair appealed for information from the public on some of Britain's most heinous crimes. The programme attracted more than 9 million viewers each month. A well-liked national figure, the Golden Girl, was named as BBC's Personality of the Year in 1997. Her former partner of seven years and editor on Breakfast News, Bob Wheaton, described her as a princess among ordinary people, a star who shone with effortless ease. Conversely, the reputation of the man initially accused of her murder, Barry George, was not nearly as polished. He suffered from Asperger's syndrome as well as a range of personality disorders, including narcissism and ADHD, and he was regarded as an oddity. The 40-year-old lived less than a kilometre from Dando's home in Fulham, London. On the day of her murder, and on the days following, George was spotted in the area by a number of witnesses who described him as agitated, threatening and intimidating. His seemingly suspicious behaviour, alongside a small trace of gunpowder residue found in his coat by police, put him in the frame for Dando's murder. On 26th April 1999, the 37-year-old crime-busting Belle was gunned down on her own doorstep. Welcome to The Real Crime Podcast with me, Tanita. And me, Ben. Today we're going to be talking about the murder of Jill Dando. She was a famous Crime Watch presenter back in the 90s and she was shot on her doorstep in 1999. And this it's quite a scary and yet unique case, isn't it, Ben? Uh, yeah, certainly. This was big news in the late 90s in the UK, um, at a time when the programme Crime Watch um, was really popular, probably at the height of its popularity. And one of its main co-stars yeah. was actually murdered. And uh, she was well loved by the public. Her her case is quite resonant with that of Princess Diana. Um, they were both sort of princesses of the people, if you like, and they were cut down in in their prime and under uh, quite shocking circumstances. I well re- remember the case because um, one episode of Crime Watch she was there presenting. And it was something like a week later, all of a sudden, she was the subject of Crime Watch for her doorstep murder. Yeah, it was quite scary how it happened. And I mean, I can remember it being on the news. I was quite young when this happened. 
and it was sort of the first real murder case I was ever introduced to and then it quickly became a cold case but before that they did convict somebody didn't they? Um, that's right. This chap, um, Barry George, um, w- was given a life sentence, um, of which he only served eight years before he was acquitted. And on the day of the murder, he was acting quite shiftily. He was seen hanging around Jill Dando's street on uh, Gowan Ave- Avenue. Just after lunchtime um, on, on the day, he um, went into the Hammersmith and Fulham Action for Disability Offices he, and he wanted to talk to someone about his mental and, and physical problems. But he hadn't made an appointment, um, so despite telling them, I need help, I need help, quote, they had to turn him away. So he went to a taxi rank. He didn't have any money for a taxi, so he just stayed in in, in the office staring out the window until uh, eventually a driver um, gave him a lift for free. The following day, he missed an appointment at a disability centre so he could go and lay flowers at the scene of Jill Dando's crime. And then the day after that, he went back to the taxi rank and he seems to be trying to establish an alibi um, by asking the, the taxi rank manager um, strange questions like, um, what was I wearing? What did I look like? And they tried to get him to write on a piece of card um, what time he had arrived there. And this is stuff that the prosecution used as ammunition against him. But he didn't end up serving his life sentence, did he? No, he did only serve the eight years of a life sentence. Um, And to this day, nobody knows who killed Jill Dando. The answers still hang in the air, and all that they have to go on is that what was left at the scene was a customised casing and a bullet hole just eight and a half inches off the floor from where she was shot. On the morning of 26th April 1999, the presenter left her fiancé's home in Chiswick sometime between 8am and 9am and returned to her south-west London home, which she was in the process of selling, to change before her afternoon meetings and a wedding dress fitting. In most murder cases, the victim does not see it coming. They go about their day as normal, unaware their life is in its final stages. Dando was spotted on various CCTV images throughout the morning, making stops to a BP petrol station, a fishmonger where she purchased two Dover sole fillets, and King's Mall, the local shopping centre in Hammersmith, to purchase a fax machine cartridge and fax paper. The last CCTV sighting of her slender blonde figure was at 11.10am, when she could be seen getting into her blue BMW 320i and driving towards Winslow Road, Fulham. When she had returned to her home on 29 Gowan Avenue at around 11.30am, someone was lurking nearby, waiting to strike. As Dando reached her front door, before she even had the chance to put her keys in the lock, she was forced to her knees her pale face almost touching the cold, tiled surface outside her terraced home. In a timely and practised manner, the assailant placed the weapon, thought to be a personalised pistol, next to her left temple and fired a single bullet into her brain, killing her 
almost instantly. Pathologists determined that the pressure of the hard barrel against the skull formed a seal, muffling the sound of the shot. Hearing a scream from the street, her neighbour Richard Hughes opened his shutters, only to see a figure briskly walking away from Dando's front garden. A spent cartridge lay next to her body, which was slumped over in a pool of blood. Helen Doble, a female neighbour who also worked in television, spotted Dando's car parked in the street as she returned from running errands. She meandered outside hoping to catch up with her neighbour, who rarely returned to the road. Instead, she found Dando's lifeless body lying just yards away from her. She noticed the blood and that Dando had turned a funny colour. Conscious not to contaminate the crime scene, she took a step back and dialed 999, telling the operator that she believed her neighbour had been stabbed. It's Jill Dando, she said. Once she hung up, she fetched another neighbour who ran to the nearby doctor's surgery for help. By 11.53am, police had arrived at the scene. PC Colin Jones, who was the first of the force to arrive, immediately felt the victim's wrist for a pulse, but found none. He later recalled the sight of Dando as he inspected her. Her body was slumped over to one side. Blood covered her white coat and face. Ambulance services arrived followed by a helicopter crew. Her body was moved closer to the pavement in order to begin attempts to resuscitate her. For half an hour the ambulance crew worked on her body, attempting CPR. With no response from Dando, she was then placed in the ambulance and taken to Charing Cross Hospital, which was just four minutes away, where medics attempted once again desperately to revive her. Alas, the lengthy efforts were in vain, and at 1.03pm, Dando was pronounced dead. Farthing, having learned of his fiancée's death hours later, told the media that he was devastated and that he was unable to comprehend what had happened to his beloved partner. Less than 24 hours ago, the pair had been in Chiswick planning their wedding reception, and now a funeral would be planned instead. Had whoever targeted Dando known she would be at Garan Avenue that morning? Had they waited and watched until they knew there would be nobody to witness the moment of her execution? How did they manage to slip away so easily? So the UK were absolutely aghast when the news that Jill Dando had been assassinated on her own doorstep in broad daylight hit the newsrooms. It was this really bizarre idea that a famous young woman could be gunned down in broad daylight. Someone who you you think you know, is un- untouchable, you know, there, there, there could be no reason for her to die or for anyone to want her dead, but... Um, very quickly theories came out of the woodwork, didn't they? Yeah, and I mean, they were quite plausible theories, really, from the team that were investigating it. You know, she is a beautiful young woman on TV. They thought perhaps she had some kind of a deranged stalker or a jealous ex-boyfriend of hers that had seen how happy she was engaged to her new fiancé had tracked her down. Mm -hmm. Even the BBC um, came under suspicion... Uh, via a theory that um, Jill Dando um, had information on a, a, a paedophile ring that she was going to bring to Crime Watch, and this was uh, headed by Jimmy Savile, 
this was 15 years before he was outed as uh, um, a child abuser. Uh, and it was implied to a certain extent that this might have been uh, a way of stopping this information from coming out by perhaps some of the most powerful influential personalities in Britain. So there was a file of, of complaints that Jill Dando had compiled against DJs, stars and corporation staff who she had alleged were uh, involved in this organised abuse. She gave this to senior management and she was told that no one wanted to know. Um, this is according to um, a friend of hers. Um, obviously, the BBC denied the accusations. Um, they said they, there was no evidence to support the claim. And police ultimately speculated that um, as someone who was, had helped to solve so many crimes in, in the past, it's likely that she might have created some enemies on the way. And this um, was possibly the work of a professional hitman. Yeah, and I mean, she was presenting Crime Watch, and at the time it was a really popular show, and it was bringing criminals down left, right and centre through appeals on TV. You know, it's very possible that she really upset somebody along the way just trying to do her job. That seems the most obvious thing, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, journalists are always making enemies, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> but in this case... Um, there was someone from um, organised crime who suggested that it couldn't have been a professional hit, wasn't it? Yeah, there was. Um, a little while back, I interviewed Bobby Cummins. Now, Bobby was a former London gangster. Um, back in the day, he was best friends with Charlie Richardson of the Richardson Gang. You know, he'd done quite a lot of time inside. And so he had a really strong knowledge of what was going on with the sort of, like, underworld of London at the time. Yeah, this is like a classic East End gangster. He's, he's, he was big in, big in the 60s. I mean, he, he didn't have the name of the Craze or the Richardsons, but... Yeah, if if you were involved in organised crime back then, you were affiliated with either of these gangs. And he, he was with the, the Richardsons, wasn't he? Yeah, he was with the Richardsons. He, he had really had the respect of both sides from what I from what I heard. You know, he knew the Craze well, he knew the Richardsons well. Um but when I spoke to him I put this theory of the underworld being involved to him, you know, and we sat and we discussed it and his theory to it was that basically this couldn't have been an underworld hit. He was adamant that it had been someone who had a grudge against Jill Dando for some reason. And the reason for that being was that as gangsters or as men who were working in organised crime, if they had brought attention to their doorstep, it would have stopped them working or what they class as working and doing business because there would have been police all over the place and he said the one thing you don't do is you don't kill a copper and you don't kill a journalist because it just brings absolute pandemonium to your doorstep don't, don't kill a copper mate don't, don't kill the coppers don't poo in your own doorstep mate did he actually say that? No, he didn't actually no, he say didn't. that. No, he did say, you don't whack a journalist. Really? Yeah, you don't whack a journalist and you don't whack a copper. <laughs> <laughs> he was lovely. He was really like, you know, he really, um, he seemed to have a lot of knowledge about what had gone on. 
And I think that makes him a really good source. Do you think maybe he had an inkling of who killed Jill Dando? Maybe because, I mean, this is the guy with a lot of connections and a lot of history. I mean, maybe he had knowledge that the, the police couldn't have. I mean, it's quite possible if he did, he didn't let on, but he didn't seem to know who had done it or why. But he made it quite clear that in his eyes, Jill Dando had found out something she wasn't supposed to and someone had taken her down for it. It wasn't that she'd bust some underworld criminal syndicate. She'd really she'd made a really strong enemy somewhere who didn't want something exposed. Mm. Either that or she had really upset somebody in her personal life. But I mean to shoot someone on the doorstep in the middle of a residential street. That yeah, is, it's a little bit crazy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you'd have to know the in and ins and outs of someone's schedule to mm. know that she's going to be on her doorstep at that time mm. of the day and that no one's going to see you and that you can you can get away quite quickly. You know, that is, that's the work of someone who really knows what they're doing, mm. in my opinion, anyway. Jill Dando shot dead. Was it an underworld killing? Those were the words of the ITV nightly news that broke that evening. People who knew Jill said she had no enemies. However, police confirmed that Dando had in the past complained of a stalker. In the days prior to her death, she received a letter from a Serbian source threatening her life. Chief Inspector Hamish Campbell of the Metropolitan Police led the investigation. Given the name Operation Oxborough, it began with a four-day comb-through of the crime scene. A blue Range Rover had been seen speeding away from Gowan Avenue minutes after the crime, which attracted suspicion. However, Campbell later announced that the prime suspect made his getaway on a number 74 bus before getting off at Putney Bridge. A reconstruction of Dando's murder featured on the upcoming episode of Crime Watch, which resulted in more than 500 calls from the public who believed to have information regarding her death. In the first six months of the investigation, police interviewed 2,500 people and took more than 1,000 statements. Dando's former boyfriends were given the all-clear as suspects, as police were firm in the belief that she was targeted by a stalker. However, they were no closer to finding a suspect. Rewards were offered for further information leading to the capture of Dando's killer. The Sun and the Daily Mail offered £100,000 each, while charity Crime Stoppers offered £50,000. In 2000, the case was reviewed. During this time, 40-year-old Barry Michael George, who had changed his surname to Balsara and had been previously overlooked by investigators, became a new focus for the police. He was unemployed and lived less than a kilometre from Dando's home. He had been reported for regularly following women along the streets, sometimes to their front doors, with witnesses placing him at the scene on 26th April and their investigative knowledge. Police arrested him on 25th May 2000. A few days after his arrest, they realised that Balsara was also known by other names, including Thomas Palmer and Steve Majors. He had a criminal record for sexual assault. In his apartment, police found a large collection of books and magazines on BBC celebrities, the military and guns. 
He also had a collection of photographs, taken from his television screen, of female newsreaders. He had a collection of cut-out newspaper articles referring to Dando's marriage announcement and death. George was held in custody for 84 hours. While investigating him, police found a small particle of gunpowder residue on the lining of his coat pocket. It was consistent with the gunpowder found in Dando's hair. A strand of fibre at the crime scene also matched the material of a pair of trousers owned by the suspect. However, Dando's neighbour, Barry Lindsay, told police that the assailant they were looking for was a man with olive skin, dark hair, and who looked like he was of Mediterranean origin. On the morning of the murder, Lindsay said he had driven down Gowan Avenue and spotted Dando arguing with a man on her doorstep. Not knowing who Dando was, Lindsay carried on driving. In his rearview mirror, he recalled the look on Dando's face. It was one of absolute terror, he told British newspapers. Her face had gone as white as the coat she was wearing. Despite Lindsay's description of the killer, the force continued to probe and investigate George. So, back to Barry George again, um, and his early life. He was uh, a complete fantasist, um, like, right from a teenager, he was um, making stuff up, um, just, like, outright lies, outrageous lies. Uh, he, he told uh, a newspaper that he was a British karate champion. Um, he, I mean, this must have been around the time of uh, Evil Knievel because he also told told them that he was planning to jump four buses um, on roller skates. Imagine if they'd actually made him do that. <laughs> I don't even want to think like, about it. I mean, but th- th- this is it. I mean, um, well, like, in, 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 in conversation, <laughs> like say, just in conversation, someone you can um, perhaps someone who doesn't know you and you're never going to see again. You can you can just make up these outrageous lies. But to a friend or or a journalist who um, hopefully is going to investigate um, any of these things if they're worth their salt, then. Um, like, can you, I can like, jump well, that four buses on roller yeah, skates. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on, then, mate. Have you ever done that? Yeah, I, I can jump be, that. Yeah, yeah. I dare you. I double dare you. <laughs> yeah, he he told told um, people that his name was Paul Gad, the real name of glam rock singer Gary Glitter. Perhaps not something you boast about today. No. <laughs> um, um, and he also said he was the cousin of Freddie Mercury. Um, he told his friends that he was part of the SES, uh, although, I mean, he did have a military connections. He was um, a member of the TA and the local gun club, which is quite significant. Um, he also used to stand in the street directing traffic, <laughs> impersonating a police officer. I mean, it, it's kind of quite nuts. And then... Um, and this is where fantasy is really starting to become um, something more sinister. He was arrested in 1983 in the grounds of Princess Diana's Kensington Palace, um, wearing commando gear uh, and carrying a 30 centimeter hunting knife and 15 meters of rope. Um, he also had uh, a poem he had written for Prince Charles. Had he really? Yeah. 
and I, I can't find, I, I've tried, I had a, a good look online and I couldn't find um, what this poem was, but I, I, I don't know. Like, um, I really do want to know what it said, though. There was a young man named Charlie whose palace was totally gnarly. <laughs> <laughs> I Drop me a beat, Tania. Give me a beat. <laughs> that is literally the extent of my rap. <laughs> this is the star of a, a rapping duo career. <laughs> so let, let's get serious now, Tanita. Um, back to the, the time of Jill Dando's murder. Uh, the gun that police had established was the murder weapon. Um, there, there was something distinctive, something interesting about this weapon, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. The gun that they believed was used in the assassination, they thought to be a personalised pistol. Um, from the casing found next to the body, they found that it was a Remington bullet, which would have been compatible with this rare 9mm semi-automatic. It's quite a... Quite a distinctive weapon in itself. Yeah. Um, yeah. See, that that seems unusual to me. That like, if if you were going to kill someone, um, you if you could get your hands on a really generic, common weapon, you that's what you'd use. Yeah. To me, anyway. I'm I'm not a professional hitman. That's nice to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that makes work yeah. a hell of a lot easier. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, in 1999, forensic experts found there were six distinctive markings on this bullet casing. And the purpose of these markings were for either a couple of reasons. It could have been to hold the bullet in place or they could have been left there when the gunman had taken the bullet apart and removed the gunpowder. This would have acted as a sort of silencer as well, which is okay. quite helpful to a professional hitman, as you well know, Ben, yeah. so that you don't get found out. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially in broad daylight. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you don't want that, do you, no. Ben? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but a source told the police that the gun that had been used had been broken up into four little pieces and then it had been thrown into the canal in Islington. I mean, again, that's certainly plausible because the weapon has never been found. Hmm. So how, how does this link to Barry George's case? Well, the police certainly thought he fitted the profile of the person who had done this thanks to his strange behaviour on the day. Mm -hmm. And he was arrested and he was charged with Jill Dando's murder. Um, and he was given a life sentence in 2001. And what the prosecution's argument hinged on was the fact that a single particle of gunshot residue was found in a coat pocket of Barry Jordan's. Mm -hmm. And so that basically put him right in the frame for this murder. Um, and, you know, Barry George's lawyers, they fought to appeal against the verdict because Barry George was just, for as much as he was a fantasist, he was adamant that he hadn't killed Jill Dando. This is, like, I mean, a single particle yeah. of gunshot. I mean, like, a tiny speck. The tiniest amount, mm -hmm. yeah, it was. Um, and his lawyers appealed 
the life sentence he was given mm-hmm. and the conviction that was handed down. Um, and what they argued was that, yes, this was such a tiny amount of gunshot residue. And they said that it could have quite easily been there from when police had taken the coat and photographed it as evidence. So they argued that it had been contaminated. Um, and this argument was enough to grant him a retrial. And in June 2008, Barry George was acquitted of Giordando's murder. And the uh, his, his lawyer's... Um, tried to sue the newspapers for uh, compensation and he actually won substantial damages from the tabloids. Um, So he walked free and that leaves no one in the frame, basically, for Jill Dando's murder. Yeah, now it just goes back to being an unsolved case. And, I mean, Barry George has moved on. You know, he did have his name completely slammed in the newspapers, but... From what I've seen, he now lives quite a happy little life over in Ireland. You've been to see him? I have. Yeah. How's he doing? Yeah, he's fine. He's grand. He's grand. (laughs) He's grand. (laughs) Police continue to search for answers. TV investigator and former police detective Mark Williams Thomas believes that Dando was killed by orders of an underworld Mr Big and that the man responsible for signing Dando's death warrant was upset with the presenter's work on Crime Watch and killed her in order to send a warning to those wanting to crack down on organised crime. His reasons for this belief are the gun being shot at such a close range and the tampered with bullet casing, so as to leave behind minimal evidence and maximum damage. The assassin's ability to pull off the murder without a single concrete sighting in the middle of the day suggested to him they knew how to execute silently and efficiently. Others believe it was more political and that she was killed in retaliation by a Serbian because of attacks from NATO, who bombed a state-owned TV station in Belgrade three days before Dando's murder. The widow of a man who was allegedly targeted by hitmen working for Serbia's dictator Slobodan Milosevic accused him of holding a grudge against the presenter. She claimed he targeted Dando after she made a TV appeal for Kosovan refugees who had fallen victim to his brutal ethnic cleansing programme in the 1990s. The NATO bombings killed one of Milosevic's close friends. The morning after the murder, a man with an Eastern European accent called the BBC to claim Dando was killed because of the deaths of Serbs in NATO attacks. He said of British Prime Minister Tony Blair's role in the conflict, he butchered, we butcher back. This theory remains pure speculation. In 2015, it was reported that as many as 100 potential suspects have been dismissed by investigators. Among them are members of the Serbian Secret Service, IRA members, and a British gangster based in Spain known only as Joe. Unfortunately, with key pieces of the puzzle missing, and the years since she was murdered now stretching into decades, the odds against finding out who killed Jill Dando, and just as importantly, why, are stacking up. 